Swami Jürgen checking in. There will be a roster part on the way. But first, let's take care of 2019 for better and for worse. Well, hello folks and welcome to We the Peeps. This is the American Soccer Podcast in which you're going to get to know everything that you need to know about the men's and women's national team. I'm Clayton and I'm a rapper. I'm Ty. I manage a web design company called Cantilever. I'm Kwame and I'm a doctor. And it's Peeps time, baby! Ninja Turtles! It's We the People. It's We the People. It's We the People. Folks, welcome to the one and only Peep Awards show, our yearly tradition here at We The Peeps, which we have come to truly adore, uh, in which we go over everything that happened for the entire year of 2019 and hand out arbitrary awards for almost no reason at all, but for the fact that it is fun and silly. They're dumb reasons to give meaningless awards (laughs) to people we don't know. Who will never welcome? Yes, <laughs> who will never know? They're not paying who attention. Will never find out. We are hardly paying attention. <laughs> uh, pretty much, but but it's worth doing, and it's always fun. So thank you all so much for joining us for this year's Peep Awards. And uh, since in 2019 we brought about the She the Peeps never ending mini series, we've got Kwame the Soccer Doctor with us. Kwame, what's up? Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Uh, and once again, rescue your podcast with my expertise. <laughs> we need it so bad. So, folks, the way this is going to work is as such. I have created categories and chosen the nominees. Ty and Kwame will be discussing who should win. They each get one vote. In the case of a tie, not the person, but the uh, a split decision, I will be the deciding factor And keep in mind, folks, that there are women-specific categories, there are men-specific categories, and most of these are a little bit mixed, which is, uh, I think, going to go just right. Co-ed categories. Co-ed categories, if you will. Um, So in recap... Oh, yeah. And one last thing. Remember to rate and review. Reach out to us on Twitter at WTPPod and tell a friend about our show, because that's super helpful. Now, let's dive into these peeps. Folks, if you forgot, this was the year in which the Good Nats won the World Cup. The the Fishy Nats, the under-19 men's team, had a sweet-ass run. Uh, Greg Berhalter had his entire debacle of a first year, and lots Greg of other e. stuff B. happened. Greggy e. B! Um, but I don't, I'm not going to go into all the details or give you a, a, a long recap of the year. I assume that you were here and alive for it as well. If there are any babies listening, they, they won't remember some of the events from earlier, but we'll catch them up. So let's start out with, uh, let's start out with a couple good, not specific categories. This first one, full disclosure of all the names of categories. This is my favorite. Uh, we're going to begin this year's peep awards with the ha ha Nicest Try Award, uh, which goes to, <laughs> which is awarded to the team that almost beat us in the nicest try. Uh, we say, haha, nice try. But which one of these was the nicest try? Was it, 
In the round of 16 of the World Cup, Spain won to two. Was it France for being the most hyped game of the tournament? Was it England for defeating us in the She Believes Cup, but then losing to us in the semifinals of the World Cup? Or was it in the final, the Netherlands? Kwame, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Well, this is a very difficult category. Um, all worthy candidates. I thought about Spain for a second because I think they were the one that surprised us the most with how tight that game was. Um, and then uh, I was tempted to say France uh, because they had a lot of hype. And I think they also were kind of like the sorest losers uh, and sort of during the game, but I'm going to go with England uh, for two reasons. One is that uh, they came the closest and probably thought they had a real legitimate shot when they got that penalty kick. And then mm -hmm. Alyssa Nair said, uh, uh nice try. Uh, so most direct say statement of nice try. Uh, but then also uh, nice try to Phil Neville, who I thought was the most, uh, annoying, obsequious, and, uh, you know, sort of bloated with his own self of self-importance uh, in, terms, in terms of the entire World Cup. And so I was very glad to see him uh, have to slink off into defeat. So nice try, England. Nice try, Phil Neville. Yeah, it sure is a gift to the world of women's soccer that Phil Neville decided to get involved. I'm, I'm, <laughs> everyone is just overjoyed about that. Uh and and just to get to dispense his uh, mansplaining about every topic imaginable, um, that was a real thrill. So uh, I, I have to agree. And the the France game was the game I was the most scared going in, but the England game was the game I was the most scared in the middle. And there were a number of moments in that game where I feel like it really could have turned, and I I, I did feel legitimately like the U.S. Um, kind of got lucky in 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 some ways, in the same way that I felt that way about the uh, Germany match in a, I think it was also the semi in um, the prior World Cup, so, but, which also featured a saved penalty. So, and you, you have to have those moments, but I think it was clearly the nicest try. And I think what made it the nicest try is that they didn't try to necessarily like outplay us, but they did try to out-physical us, which is something I, I don't think the U.S. team ever really faces because of our reputation. And so the fact that they were just like, just getting in on every tackle and just kicking our, our players left and right and doing all sorts of stuff when the camera wasn't looking um, makes it the nicest try. Good try, England. Ha ha. Go nicest sip some tea. Try. Nice <laughs> sip, sip and tea. Uh, go, go ahead and sip that. You got a peep for it, though, for your trouble. So congratulations, England. Let's move <laughs> on to the next category. This is we're going to do one more uh, women specific one because uh, they're the good Nats and we've got plenty of time to languish over the poor, poor, sad, sad, sad memories of the U.S. MNT. Dessert is first in the peeps. That's correct. <laughs> so for the next category, we're going to do most underrated champion. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm going to, I want to start with a few sort of honorable mentions. Uh, the reasons, oh, by the way, there is one more rule that I forgot to mention, which is that you can at any time, either, either of you, uh, do a write-in. So if, I, if, if for the category I chose, there's someone you're thinking of that I didn't nominate, feel free to, to, uh, to do a write-in 
on that. So the, the honorable mentions for this, uh, which are people who I do think are under are, – are, are potentials for this category but don't quite make it because ultimately they are pretty highly rated, are going to be Lindsey Horan uh, for being Kwame's favorite player, uh, Samantha Mewis, who, who did in the end get a lot of hype, uh, Tobin Heath, and Julie Ertz, who everyone knows are awesome but can't quite get enough credit. Uh, and then the actual nominees for most underrated champion are going to be Carly Lloyd, who clearly mm. is showing before and after the World Cup that she could have easily made a bigger difference than she did and, and could have been leaned on even more uh, to win this championship. Kelly O'Hara, who I thought was the most important player, the biggest difference maker uh, for this team and, and um, seems never to be in that conversation. Uh, Crystal Dunn, who can do anything at any time under any circumstance. And Emily Sonnet for being the moral sort of uh, the, the team spirit uh, leader of this team. Maybe not showing it so much on the field, but uh, if, you were, if, you were, if you're following any of, any of these uh, players on social media, you will know that Emily Sonnet had a huge role to play in what this team ultimately was. And once again, we'll start with uh, Kwame on this one. Wow, this is a really uh, tough category. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to cross off Carly Lloyd because I think she was underutilized by Jill Ellis, but I don't think she's under underappreciated. I don't think she's underrated um, by like the the public at large. Uh, and I think both Crystal Dunn and Kelly O'Hara were um, underrated. But I'm going to say Crystal Dunn because I think that she is a more talented player overall while not trying to demean Kelly O'Hara at all. Who I, I kind of agree with you, uh, Clayton, that she was the most valuable player, the, most, the person that we could least replace. Uh, but I think Crystal Dunn can do more uh, and is a little better. Um, Emily Sonnet is the, undeniably, I think, the glue of the team or one of the main sort of uh, people who makes that locker room tick and work and keep stay lively and loose. And looking ahead a little bit, I know this is the peeps for 2019, looking ahead to the Olympics where they have to cut the roster down. I think normally she would be, you know, one of the people most likely to be on the chopping block. But I wonder if she gets kept for her locker room presence as well as her versatility because she can cover both center back and right back. But I'm going to say, uh, with all the prevarication, I'm going to say Crystal Dunn. Uh, but it's a, you, you made me think on that one. All right. Uh, so, Ty, where do you stand on this one? It's, it's a toughie. I love these questions because it involves all these judgments that are arbitrary and you can just, like, go nuts with it. But so I think of the nominees that you, that you pointed out, I think that Crystal Dunn got enough recognition for particularly for being out of position and, like, doing a good job being out of position. I feel like her name was called a lot and articles, many articles were written. Whereas Kelly O'Hara was just doing her proper job 
so freaking goodly <laughs> the whole <laughs> the whole tournament i don't i don't recall a single moment where i was like oh ouch like she got burned and that did happen to crystal dunn on occasion so i feel that that kelly o'hara was was the 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 least properly rated of the nominees that you made um my true answer i think would be oh yeah sorry a second half answer is uh abby dahlkemper mm, who love it must have been good but I feel like was not ever mentioned or on television at all. It was like in every game, like Sauerbrunn was, had like at least 10 minutes of screen time. And Dahl Kemper, like I barely recognized her by the end of the tournament. It was like, did they make a sub? <laughs> who's, who's this lady? So Abby Dahl Kemper is also, should be, should be in consideration. But my true most underrated USWNT player is Julie Ertz. Because they don't win the tournament if it's not for Julie Ertz, easily. And I feel like these other players are so much more replaceable. Even, even you know, the, the fetid Megan Rapino is more replaceable than, than Ertz. And I think every time they, like, when they put her in different positions, the team totally changes. When she's not there, the team totally changes. I love that kind of player. I think they just, they, 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 make, the, they make the room work, you know? And, uh... So I, I think she's the most underrated. But I'm gonna. I'll just answer. I'll still. I won't use my write-in because I, I want to save those for future sure, giant sure, sure. errors by you. So I'll, I'll <laughs> say Kelly O'Hara, which makes it a tie. Makes which it makes a it a tie. tie between the fullbacks. So all right, all right. So Kwame, I want to give you one chance to uh, potentially change either change your answer or convince Ty to change <laughs> his. Because if you don't, we know what's going to happen here. So, Kwame, go for it. I agree somewhat with Julie Ertz being the most irreplaceable, at least with the roster that we brought to the World Cup. But she also did just win U.S. Soccer's Player of the Year. So, uh, you know, I think uh, that, that dings a little bit the, the underrated. This is true. Abby Dahlkemper, uh, I think... Was I mean, it is always impressive when a center back isn't really noticed, but I think that's also a little bit of the partnership that she has with Sauerbrunn, um, that she's a little bit more deep lying and she's the ball playing while Sauerbrunn is more of the, the ball winner and more actively, I think, having to help cover uh, Crystal Dunn. Uh, so, you know, I think I think she's worth mentioning, but I also think that there were players who could who could replace her um, uh, more easily than, than other people on the back line. And, you know, I think Kelly O'Hara, she's, you know, she's a very, she's a very good player. Um, but, uh, you know, Crystal Dunn, you know, was our, arguably our best left back, could have stepped into that midfield and been arguably our best midfielder. Uh, I mean, we talk about not really having a replacement for Julie Ertz. I wonder if it is, in that roster that we had, Crystal Dunn, uh, who's shown that she could win the ball, has plenty of speed and versatility. So, you know, I think uh, anywhere on the field, you can pretty much put Crystal Dunn. And uh, you can't say that, I don't think, about Kelly O'Hara. So, Compelling. you know, I may or may not have swayed you there, uh, but that's that's what I would say. Ty, are you swayed? Uh, I'm, I'm standing pat, but you're you're the judge. All right, folks. Uh, Kwame's dying on that hill. Kelly O'Hara. I I will vote for Kelly O'Hara, thus breaking the split decision. 
<laughs> and uh, sorry, Kwame. Uh, pack your fucking bags. You have to give All Kwame right. the next one. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, folks. <laughs> sorry, Kwame. So, I, I regret. I regret. I feel it's like so mean right now. There's something. Yeah. There's something just, that I, does feel very. I took wrong away a peep that. both from Crystal Dunn and from Kwame. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so for the next one, uh, we are going to do a quickie here before we take a short break. So I've got, I've got kind of a, a throwaway category here. I, there is no peeps. You, you can't call it the peeps without acknowledging the hilarious moments that Giassi Zardes has brought to the mm. table this year. So we're going to swing <laughs> over for our first men-specific peep award for most traffic coney moment. Uh, the, there are only two nominees, and I, they, they favor Giassi Zardes. So this is the one time in the year where we're going to show Zardes some love. The uh, nominees for most traffic coney moment are the sky-high deflection that he scored versus Ecuador, uh, in which he took a shot that looped over the keeper um, and completely by accident. Asso, 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 Asso on Asso. And then, of course, you all know you all knew it was coming. The reason why this category exists: the face goal, third goal versus Guyana, <laughs> which he has no idea about, knows nothing about, uh, and scores by accident with his face. Tie, kick it off. What's your what's your bet, most traffic coney moment? It, it's just hands down the face goal, and it, it just epitomizes everything about the Giassi Zardes experience, I think. And it might, you know, my favorite moment of the 2014 world cup was when Michi Batshuayi <laughs> got hit in the face by his own enthusiastic, um, kick, uh, after, I think it was after a goal, right? So he, he kicked the ball in celebration and it ended up hitting <laughs> him in the face. And, you know, anything that reminds me of the Batman is just a sheer delight. And I just think the face goal is like you just printed it like it's, it should be the equivalent of the deuce face sign that people bring to people bring to Nats games is, you know, it, he can't necessarily score with his feet, but he finds a way and he puts his body and his grill on the line every every single match. So thank you, Jossie. Thank you for your face. And Kwame, do you have any objections to the face goal being the most traffic coney moment of the year and perhaps all time? Uh, absolutely no objections. I would say that <laughs> my objection is not to him winning the category, but the role that Jossi Sardis plays on this team. Because I, one, I want to recognize the fact that Jossi Sardis, while... I think not being anywhere close to our best striker has gotten better over the last several years. And I would love for Jossie Artis to be this sort of lovable fringe national team player who we play against, you know, Guiana and Curacao and he comes in and we're feeling good. And the team is winning and he scores off of his face and we're like, aha, Jossie's artist. Right. <laughs> and that's, and that's, and we embrace him for what he brings to the team. But instead, we have this whole adversarial relationship with him as a fan base, which none of us want to have. You know, we want to like love every single friend on a national team. So that is that is my addition to uh, to this peak category. Obviously, it's the face goal, and I wish it was purely joy when we talked about the face goal and Jossie's office. 
That is so stellar. Oh. That's such stellar analysis, <laughs> and I'm I'm totally with you. It's it's just like the Batman. If he's starting, it's frustrating. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. You're so right. And with that, we will uh, take just a a brief break here. And when we come back, we've got lots more categories to go, including uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, Jerk of the Year, and of course, later on, The Golden Peep. All right, we are back. We are back in the hot seat, and it's time to continue to peeps uh, because. That is what we know and love most. Uh, we've been having a good time so far. Let's keep it going. I want to get this this uh, the second portion of the show going with perhaps the most important award of the year. Arguably, many people, many American soccer fans will feel that that this is the one. This is the peep they've been waiting for all year. So so uh, strap on your your thinking caps and let's get this one right. It's time for fishy of the year. This, of course, goes to the fishy that gave us the most hope, uh, the fishy that, that, that performed the best, and if you're not already aware, fishy is any player that's eligible for a youth national team. This will be our very first ever co-ed peep category. <gasps> oh! All right, so let's dive right in. It was very hard to whittle it down here. Um, but I've got us down to five nominees and three write-ins. The uh, I'll start with uh, Mallory Pugh, who, believe it or not, like Cameron Carter Vickers, has been a fishy. <laughs> is still a fishy. Still a fishy. Uh, yeah. All these years later, still eligible. Grizzled vet. Under... Grizzled vet. She's like, she's like nineteen. Um, yeah. And then, of course. And then, of course, the youngest uh, player on the Good Nats uh, during this World Cup, Tierna Davidson. Um, other nominees for Fishy of the Year are going to be Serginho Dest. You know him, you love him. Perhaps the Dest thing that happened to us all year. Uh, we've got Tyler Adams, who it seems like a long time ago, but in 2019 uh, became a regular starter for the real Red Bulls. This is his and breakout year and his breakdown year. It's sadly so. <laughs> We've also got Christian Pulisic, who made his way to Chelsea Sipu. and actually did okay at times. Uh, and then, of course, Weston McKenney, who just continues to truck along. Honorable mentions here. We've got Tim Weah, Josh Sargent, and Paxton Pomacall. Uh, I'm going to hand this one over to Kwame first. Who do you have for Fishy of the Year? Well, so as much as it pains me to say, I don't think either of the uh, women's national team nominees you mentioned uh, can win the award. Uh, Tierna Davidson, uh, much of her year was limited by injury, and so she didn't participate in the way that she normally would have. And I think Mallory Pugh, uh, her development has stalled a little bit the last few years, which in my view I think is probably largely due to coaching and not not on the national team. But, you know, Mallory Pugh... um, never really played in college like she went to UCLA but then left and turned professional and she hasn't uh, before really playing for UCLA and she hasn't really been on good teams and so when I look at some of the development of some of the other players who have been on NWSL teams with better coaching quality the players in North Carolina or Portland um, that I think that 
my wish for 2020 is that Mallory Pugh gets a good coach. Um, so uh, remaining fishies, I'm actually going to, uh, I think, put in a write-in and Uh-oh. say <gasps> that I think that uh, Yuli Lana's actually would be my fishy of nice. the year. And oh I admit that there's not, you know, he also was limited somewhat this year due to injury. He didn't really get to feature that much in the U19 World Cup. But I think that he is uh, on, I think he's on the rise. He was the player that I was most excited when he came on the field, um, even more so than Ledesma, who I do love. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here for one sec. I want to make clear: Fishy of the Year is for what they did in 2019, not for what they will do in the future. I have Indeed. another category for things that will occur in the future. Kwame, that may or may not change your answer, but I wanted to make sure I, I got that information. In. That all right? That changes my answer a little bit. Then I think if it's just on the field, I I would actually give it to. Tyler Adams, uh, Christian Pulisic had a great year, and I think when he's played for Chelsea, he's done really well. But I don't think we saw anything that, to me, was as stunning and um, really invigorating as Tyler Adams making that transition uh, from the Red Bulls straight into the Leipzig starting lineup and playing game after game in a stretch where they went undefeated, and he just... He was. It was just, um, you know, seamless his transition into that team and playing at the highest level, uh, and so that that even though he's been injured a lot of this year and is just coming back now, that's my he gets my vote for fishy of the year. Yeah, I'm very tempted to say Dest because the the Dest decision was maybe the most important thing to happen for the men's national team this year. Uh, and I, I, I agree with Kwame that I think if, you know, maybe if Pew was more important or influential for the for the winning team, um, I'd have to go with her because, you know, if you contribute meaningfully to a World Cup team, that, that, that has to mean more than anything else. But I feel like the U.S. would have quite easily won the World Cup, not well, however easily they did. They would have won it without with or without Mallory Pugh. She was not, she was not a, a pivotal, you know, piece of it. So I... I'm inclined to agree. I think the Tyler Adams thing, this is what we want, right? We we want kids from the U.S. to grow up dreaming of playing for MLS teams, to get into the academy, work their way up, and to make the transition to Europe and to be able to do what Tyler did. So I think while Pulisic is great because Pulisic achieved, has, has achieved even a higher level, I would say, than, than Adams during, during the course of the year, um, and Dest is great because it's great to have wonderful players like him choose to play for our team. I think the Adams story is exactly what we want as U.S. national team fans, truly. And it's the most sustainable long-term path to success for us. So every 16-, 17-year-old kid in MLS academies saw what he did and what Alfonso Davies did, and they know that this is now possible, and that just injects a huge amount of confidence and energy into the youth system. Not to mention the fact that all these money-loving adults are now realizing that there is profit potential in setting up these academies. And the 
you know, the, the, that, that's going to cause a sea change as well. I think there's maybe only one club left without like a full-time academy. So, um, so it's, it's, it's exactly what we want to see. He's emblematic. And the, the one uh, moment I will always remember from Tyler Adams, 2019 is the absurd assist to, uh, Paulson for a goal that where he, he steals the ball, like by the, by the RB Leipzig, uh, penalty area and just like launches this 60 yard on the ground, like nine iron <laughs> to, to Paulson <laughs> that it's just, it's one of the most YouTubeable moments ever by a American club player. And I just, I'm so pumped that he's back. So fully agree. Tyler Adams, you got it. You deserve it. You earned it and made your comeback to RB Leipzig late in the year, uh, thus capping off your fishy of the year 2019. Uh, let's dive into our next category here. This is going to be the best, in quotes, group dash IE. So best group E uh, of the year. So th- this, this, this award is going to go to whichever what? of these players... <laughs> Uh, was was the best was most emblematic of what of what Greg Berhalter would call the group. Uh, the so group. This, okay. Yes. The the vaunted group. The vaunted group. Yeah. Uh, so shall we've not got, be disrupted. <laughs> so we've got heavy hitters such as and and the sort of implied thing about this is these are all players who are only there because they're part of whatever this this group they're part yes, of the group whatever that it's means. Very like tautological. It's like, why are you included? Because you're a part of the group. Why are you a part of the group? Because you were included. We've (laughs) only ever called in Nick Lima, so Nick Lima has to keep getting called in. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. Speaking of, our first nominee is the Lima Bean, Nick Lima. The Lima Lima Bean! Uh, Coming on down the line, we've got Daniel Lovitz, Will Trapp. (laughs) You know him, you love it. You know him, you love it. Will Trapp. (laughs) We are trapped with Will Trapp. Paul Ariola Nips, who played every game for Greggy B, except for the one that he elected to, uh, I think he had a, a baby or something, got married, I forget. Um, Giassi Zardes is right in there. And finally, we've got the group, the group leader of the quote group, uh, Tim Ream. So I'm going to hand this one over to Ty. Ty, who's, your, who's the best groupie of the year? Yeah, I think, I think the obvious, so Ariola and Ream, I'm just crossing off because they were actually okay. They they performed pretty well, so they 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 would have merited continued consideration. The other three are so are are just utterly perplexing. Niglima had more good moments, I would say. So I'm gonna I'm gonna you know fall back quickly to um to Zardes and uh, and Lovitz. Lovitz. And I think while Zardes is probably the most impactful dumbass decision of the year. Um, Lovitz, I think Lovitz is the most confusing. I think, I think I can, even I can convince myself as you have, you know, you've vacillated during the course of the year. Like is Zardes actually worse than Josh Sargent right now? You know, how much worse is Josh Sargent than Zardes? There's, there's room for debate, but the, the Daniel Lovitz thing, he's, he's a mediocre player on a bad team in a, in a mediocre league who would just not even be on the radar of any other national team coach. There's just something about the guy that Greg Berhalter, he's the Julian green of, of the Berhalter era. It's, it's totally confusing. 
And so I have to give him the most, he is the most groupie player. That's my most groupie guy. Yeah. Kwame, what you got? Any objections to, uh, Daniel Lovitz walking home with this peep? Uh, no. Uh, I think he's clearly the, the most deserving of this peep with the caveat that (laughs) I want to give Corey Baird a quick mention. Mostly, <laughs> I was wondering about Corey, Corey Baird. Baird. Yeah. Oh my god. Mostly because Corey Baird, I was when they first showed up, I had a really difficult time remembering who was Lovitz and who was Corey Baird, uh, and so they kind of fused in my mind. So I really can't think about Lovitz without thinking about Corey Baird and vice versa. So uh, if it's you know, Dan Lovitz, yes, but maybe maybe Corey Baird is just an alter ego that Greggy B invented to get Greg Love to get Daniel Lovitz more playing time. It's like so, a slight prosthetic. Yeah. According, yeah, according to our calculations, Daniel Lovitz and Corey Baird are going home with the Double most winners. groupy guy, Peep Award. Uh, because they are indeed one person, actually, it turns out. Uh, you find out all kinds of stuff. Look, this isn't just a recap. We're also breaking stories. Um, okay, next category. Next category, we have here the uh, least missed player of the year. So this is, this is uh, leading up to its inverse category. So least missed. This one, I feel like there might be some write-ins. Um, but let me just give you what I have for now. Uh, we've got Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore, emblematic of the uh, the crash out of the World Cup. This was a, the year when things really did seem to uh, sort of it, – it has felt like a new chapter. Um, but, but And so I personally have been feeling really glad not to see those two players as much as we used to. However, a lot, you know, they, they may, many would argue that they, they were, they were very much missed, but I'm nominating them for least missed. Then we have, uh, this was a world cup year. So in terms of world cup cycles, I am nominating hope solo as a, uh, as a least missed oh. player of 2019. She, she retired after she, you know, went out in a blaze of, of controversial glory and then also nominated herself as a candidate for us soccer president in 2018. So 2019, no hope solo stories. Lovely. Uh, and then, uh, lastly, we've got a couple here from the Dave Sarakin era, uh, and, and, and prior we've got Julian green and Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood, who, on as far as the field play goes, uh, I don't miss at all. But I do kind of miss just having him around. Um, so, so there you go. Least missed. A little. This is a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, um, a little bit of an imprecise category here. But uh, I'll, I'll hand this over first to uh, Ty. What is your least missed player of the year? This is a fantastic category. I, I never want to see Julian Green ever again. And when he, when pe- pe- every now and then people go, oh, you know, he's got uh, four goals and two assists in his last eight appearances for Goethe Firth. Uh, he might be, uh, might be in the mix for Burhalter. I'm like, no, shut it down. Shut it. Don't even talk. <laughs> I'm not even going to look at this damn tweet. I'm not looking at this all touches. We've been down this road before. We're it, no more. No mas. So I definitely don't miss him. I think Josie and uh, and Bradley. While I, I I do miss Bradley, but I, while I w- wouldn't necessarily miss them, 
I do miss what they used to bring to the team because we haven't replaced them properly. So I do, I do definitely miss the the peak, you know, peak Josie, peak Michael. Um, I think Hope Solo is just a fantastic shout. And when you came into this, I was expecting you to say Carly Lloyd because I think Carly Lloyd was less missed than people anticipated. But I think Hope Solo was even less missed because Alyssa Nair, despite being so much less hyped and probably less talented, delivered exactly what the U.S. national team needed to to get it done. She had one pivotal moment and she came through huge, which is which is kind of what Solo had in a lot of these tournaments as well. You think back to, I, I don't know whether it was, um, yeah, I'm forgetting some of the prior tournaments, but it's like, there's like, you know, a couple Hope Solo highlights per tournament. It's not like she was standing on her head against Thailand either. So I think I, I'm going to go with Hope Solo because she's the most ostentatious, egocentric athlete I think I've I've seen, certainly on the women's side, if not just in general, in U.S. soccer. And so for her presence to not be felt is a particular we-didn't-miss <laughs> situation. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Hope Solo, but move on, please. Kwame, what you got? So... I would say my least missed person is probably Bobby Wood. Um, and <laughs> although I think I, I, I'd certainly hear what you're saying, Ty, about Julian Green. Uh, and, you know, if Julian Green never makes it back, like, it's not going to bother me. For Bobby Wood, I feel like his last couple of years, both at club and national team level, have been just kind of kind of depressing like i'm not you know i'm not like uh like angry or like oh bobby wood you suck now i'm just like oh man what what happened and so like i kind of want bobby wood to kind of be you know like in some spa somewhere like recuperating or you know seeing some <laughs> You know, working with like a sports psychologist and then like reappearing when he's got his mojo back. Uh, but so, but for right now, I don't miss having him around. Uh, regarding Hope Solo, you know, I uh, I have mixed feelings about it because I agree that as good as Hope Solo was as a goalie, um, you know, in 2015, but certainly also, you know, 2011 um, and plenty of other tournaments where she really rescued a sort of weaker U.S. squad than we have now. She had a lot of controversy follow her for a long time, um, some very unsavory uh, things and sort of criminal charges. Um, but I will say that I do miss her in the sense of the that the fact is that the way she left the national team uh wasn't being beaten out by other players um or mm. felt like you know we're going in a different direction is that she made an innocuous comment that is made all the time by male soccer players about, you know, an inferior team bunkering in and not, you know, not wanting to play soccer. And this was, you know, this was taken as this whole, um, you know, this whole unsavory act, right? When it was like the least unsavory thing that she's done. Uh, and so that really reeked of sexism to me. 
And so I don't like that she's not around because of that. And then as far as running for U.S. soccer president, I mean, you know, she's not the only prominent ex-U.S. player that we saw run for president. So, you know, is she any more egotistical than Kyle Martino? I mean, she's accomplished way more as a professional player and was involved for U.S. soccer much longer than Kyle Martino was, as much as I like Kyle Martino. You know, Winalda may be more so involved as a player and as a commentator. But, you know, also, given the clown show that we've got at U.S. soccer, like, you know, uh, her thinking she could do a better job than than what we've got going is uh, it's not that much of a stretch. So there's my defensive hope solo, and I'm going to vote for Bobby Wood, uh, and, uh, but I leave it to the, uh, to the, to the tiebreak. So what, what was well, the title of the category, Clayton? So, so the least title of missed? the category is least missed. I, I really, I must say, I quite miss talking about Bobby Wood. <laughs> uh, I quite miss the, the hilarity that he brings. There's something more fun about complaining about Bobby Wood than, than is Zardes complaining about Zardes. It's not as funny. Uh, it, it, Bobby Wood just did the most hilarious things I've ever seen in a U.S. jersey. Uh, but I'm fully convinced uh, by the Hope Solo argument. Now, I, I'm, I'm wishing that Ty had voted for Julian Green um, so that I could go with him over Bobby Wood. But them's the rules. Them's the breaks. Them's the, uh, and I'm totally con- convinced by Kwame's argument as well. So I, I, I think yeah. that. I, and I'm, I am recalling some moments early in the tournament where... Um, where uh, Alyssa Nair looked howlery. It was there were there were some things that there were some warning signs that that sure, and I, yeah. I kind of thought that maybe the tournament would end on that howler and it didn't. But I did. It's true that there were points in the World Cup where I I thought I felt the absence of uh, of of the solo one. So I I, I agree, and we did not miss Bobby Wood at all. That, Not at that, all. Nothing about the outcome of the year would have changed one iota if Bobby Wood had been around. <laughs> so, all right, all right, all right, Bobby Wood from the from from the grave. Bobby Wood takes home a peep for 2019 <laughs> somehow. Now, you, you, I'm sure you saw it coming. The next category is going to be most missed. Mm. Most missed. Uh, you'll notice that these are all men's players because uh, the the U.S. women's national team didn't feel like it they was won the fucking World Cup so in I any don't way. Think they missed anybody. Uh, so most <laughs> miss here. We've got we've got a few. We have Josh Sargent for not going, not being called by Greg Berhalter to the Gold Cup. We have John Brooks uh, out for most of the year due to injury, and when he came back, it just felt so much better. We have Tyler Adams, who made that meteoric rise and then was injured for almost the entire year, or about half the year. Uh, lastly, as nominees, uh, I have Uncle Dave Sarakin as the Uncle most missed. We had to watch Greggy B do whatever the fuck he did all year, and it really started to make that Dave Sarakin era of fishies, albeit Julian Green-centric, look pretty good in retrospect. Now, a couple of uh, write-ins here, a couple of honorable mentions. Uh, We've got uh, Tim Weah. We have Fabian Johnson, Mm. uh, who seemed just not to get picked or considered. And then Polisic, who was also out for an injury, though. When you look back on 2019, it didn't feel like he was 
gone for as as long as let's say someone like uh, Tyler Adams or John Brooks. Uh, so those are those, and I want to do. And yeah, and there is one other person who was very much missed, but they have a nomination later on in the show. So if you don't bring this person up on your own, I'm not going to. Okay, so let's start with uh, Kwame. As good as John Brooks is, it's hard to miss someone who's not around so much. Like, this isn't the first prolonged absence we've had from John Brooks. So it's sort of like, a, from in my mind, it's a treat when he's there. Um but it's hard to say most missed because it's not like he's a staple. Uh, you know, I, this is really tough. I don't miss Dave Sarakin, um, mostly because he was around too long as it is. I was <laughs> glad when he stepped up, but we shouldn't have had him for a year, you know, so it's hard to miss someone who overstayed their welcome by no fault of his own um you know again this is going back to the to this dysfunction of um you know of the federation i think i'm gonna say fabian johnson because with all of the daniel lovett saying that we saw it was impossible not for me to say we can't take another look at fabian johnson you know, so and it, I think it just sort of represented a sort of quality kind of professionalism that I think would have been good to blend in with the young people that we're trying to bring through. So I think Fabian Johnson's my most missed. I, I like that. I like that stance. But I I feel like the U.S. would have beat Mexico if Tyler Adams was on the field. Maybe that's too bold a statement, but I believe that Tyler Adams is that good. I think he's just as good as Pulisic, which would make him one of the best players on the field. And, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I felt Tyler Adams' absence every game that he was out. I just I couldn't help thinking about what the team would be like, what, what Greggy B would have been able to do in his, like, tactical system because they had that right-back thing, and then they – it seemed to be like designed for Adams and then Adams did it one time and then he got hurt and they got rid of the right back thing. And I kind of liked that right back thing. So I feel like, I feel like Tyler Adams was definitely the most prominent uh, absentee of the year. And I feel like would have changed the trajectory of the team so much if he had been around in some ways, I'm glad that that didn't happen because I think it exposed a lot of the problems with Berhalter in a way that wouldn't have happened if he just had better personnel. Um, but, you know, it would have been nice to win that damn trophy. So I, I got to give it to Adams. Yeah. So I think uh, you make, uh, you know, as usual, I, I see where you're coming from. I think for me, what swayed me towards Johnson is that I knew why Tyler Adams wasn't there, you know, and, you know, I'm now subscribed oh. to like the Red Bull Leipzig, you know, Twitter feed, like, you know, checking every day for updates on like, you know, his adductor muscles. Right. But it's like, okay, Tyler Adams is coming back. While with Fabian Johnson and, you know, a few other people starting to nag me a little bit in this frame, it's like, why aren't there is just like a question mark. It's like, why aren't these people here? I think I'd seen them before and I like them and I think they could help us now. So it's, it's this sort of unexplained uh, absence that I think is more, is more palpable and painful to me. 
But I absolutely agree. Tyler Adams phenomenal, equally as good as Pulisic, and makes us tick in ways that we just don't win because there's not anyone really close to his to his level uh, and to his his skills. What what a good argument! It's a fantastic argument. I as thank you so much for mentioning Darlington Nagby. That was the he was the hint that I dropped, but he's he's going to come up in a minute. Uh, so I'm going to ignore that for now, and I'm going to go with Tyler Adams just because most missed. I think if you if you go on the sum of all American soccer fans, if you could quantify amount of missedness in some sort of a <laughs> unit and count it. Tyler Adams is the most missed player of the Longing year. per capita. Most <laughs> longed for uh, and not there. So Tyler Adams, you get that peep. I think that's uh, your f- – is that your first peep? No, second. Does Tyler Adams now have two? Yeah, he's got Fishy yeah, of the Year as well. Fishy Dang, Tyler. Fishy of the Year and most, most longed for. Crazy Amazing. talk. All right, so now we've got. Uh, let's ju- let's jump into. Uh, this is not a show about the MLS, uh, but it's related to it, um, unfortunately, because it's a U.S. soccer show. So uh, this next category is MLS best case scenario peep. Uh, the, these are this this peep goes to the player who exemplified the best possible outcome for an MLS uh, player. We have Jordan Morris. Uh, who who is finally back to his uh, best self. We've got Aaron Long in there, not quite able to get that transfer, which would have been much better, but even but although that's the case, although he's stuck in the MLS, he played pretty well for us this year. We've got Reggie Cannon, who surprised right. everyone in 2019. Reggie. And then, of course, Reggie, the soccer player formerly known as Reggie Cannon. And then, of course... Uh, we've got the, the the sort of a dual a dual uh, the, the, these two to me seem to go hand in hand. Uh, Paul Ariola and Sebastian Legette. Uh, Ty, who's your MLS best case scenario? Okay, so I, I, I it's between Morris and and Long for me because Mor- Morris actually had a fantastic year and was was pretty good for the Nats. But you know Morris still wasn't wasn't good in the big moments when he really needed to step up. And that's just what we're going to get from Jordan Morris. He's going to be good against, you know, bad opposition, which is an important thing for a U.S. national team player because we play a lot of bad teams and we have to get by them. But Aaron Long, I feel confident with Aaron Long on the field. I like his style. I like his his approach. And I feel like, well, when he makes mistakes, the mistakes are very subtle and I just I, I think he's he's a great partner for John Brooks. Just like it works, the the Aaron Long thing works. So I feel like if he had gone to Europe, it would have been uh, well well deserved. And I think he can absolutely succeed there. So I have to I have to go go his direction. Definitely the best case scenario if you're stuck in MLS to just like lock down a national team starting spot. Yeah, I agree. I think my answer is Aaron Long. Um... You know, I think it's certainly frustrating the way MLS has historically handled some transfers and kept people from moving on and developing. Uh, And I really was disappointed for Aaron Long that that seemed to have gotten blocked. Uh, But I would also... So Aaron Long is my answer, although uh, looking forward, if we had like a crystal ball, it would be interesting to see if players come in for Aaron Long, but I also wouldn't be surprised if people come in for Reggie Cannon, uh, who's, Mm -hmm. you know, quietly emerged um, and been 
a pretty regular figure on the national team and is young and athletic and 21. Uh, so, you know, I, if, if I was a, you know, European uh, club or, you know, other kind of high level uh, club, I would probably be looking at Reggie Cannon. And if he gets a move at, you know, sort of 21, 22, then that I think is a little bit more indicative of the best case scenario. But, you know, as things stand, you know, December 2019, I think the answer is Aaron Long. I think we need to apologize to Reggie for Kwame just butchering his last name there. That was like really offensive, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Come on, Kwame. Papers papers have been filed, you know. This is a legal <laughs> switch that occurred. This is this is the Chad Ochocinco scenario. <laughs> world peace, meta world peace. Um all right. So Aaron Long's going to take it for the MLS best case scenario this year and hopefully over time this award continues and the MLS gets better and better and it's no longer one day this will be not an ironic award. I hope. <laughs> uh up up next, uh, next category, we've got best next. So this is uh, the, the category I alluded to earlier in which we are going to, we're, we're going to award a peep to the player that seems to show the most exciting potential for the future in 2019. Uh, if that, if any of that makes sense. We're going back quickly, to the future. Quickly, Clayton, when you first said that, I thought you said best neck. And I immediately thought of DeAndre Yedlin's humongous <laughs> <laughs> tattoo. Right. I was DeAndre. like, you just made up the category for DeAndre Yedlin to win. <laughs> DeAndre anyway. Yedlin's enormous tattoo gets a write-in for best neck. <laughs> for best uh, neck. Best yeah. uh, the, the actual nominees are going to be Katarina Macario, who uh, Kwame brought to our attention on the most recent episode of She the Peeps, potentially uh, it's a Brazilian-American dual national just waiting for her citizenship so that she can chop it up for the good Nats. Then we've got Gio Reyna, who made himself known this year and looks really awesome uh, moving forward. And Paxton Pomacall, who can't really be awarded Fishy of the Year because he didn't play that much for us, but... He's very exciting and did really well in the MLS. Uh, there are many, many um, honorable mentions for this award, but uh, just to rattle off a few options, you've got Chris Gloucester, Chris Richards, Uli Yanez, Alex Mendez, and Richie Ledesma. Kwame, who is your best next? Well, you know, I think it's got to be, it's got to be Katarina Macario. Um, uh, I think that just based on, you know, the sheer, um, you know, the sheer statistical output this year, uh, you know, in 2019, she had in uh, 24 games, she had 32 goals and 23 assists from the number 10 position. Um <laughs> And, uh, and won, <laughs> you know, won the national championship. Um, I think that, you know, you're hard pressed to, you're hard pressed to do any better as at her age group, you know, in the women's game, but, you know, that the, the women's college game is, you know, basically the equivalent of you know, these, uh, developmental teams in, in Europe. And she just, she just shattered, she just shattered everything. And she was a, she's a junior as well. She's still got, you know, a year to go. 
So as much as I um, love all these other kind of young players, particularly Yuli Lailanes, um, I think it's got to go to Macario. Yeah, I think the 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 term generational talent comes to mind. I, I'm only just getting to know uh, uh, Miss Macario um, as a player, but I, I'm I've been compelled by all the the bombardment of social media content there's been about her uh, <clears throat> kind of absurd, um, you know, sort of next level talent. So I think very appropriate for this award. Though the I think my runner up is. Oh, it's, there's so many good ones. There's so many good ones. But I think people don't quite understand how good Ulianes has been as well for the Wolfsburg um, U19 team. Because it's like similar. It's like he played like 12 games and had like 12 goals and six assists or something like that. And he he just, it was like week after week, he's coming in and he's scoring like, oh, brace, oh, hat trick. Oh, no big deal. Just, just dominating. So, and it looks like he is, you know, breaking news. He's going to be with the, with the Nats during January camp as well. So a big year for, for Ulianes, but I think, yeah, Macario definitely defines what's next in, uh, for, for the, for the good Nats in a way that none of the men that you mentioned do, um, maybe Reyna, but I, I, I still feel like Reyna's, uh, ceiling is a lot lower than, than someone who could, who could basically just like you know, to become a fixture as a, as an attacker for, you know, 10, 15 years with the net, with the good Nats. Reyna's still pretty young, right? He's 17, right? So, 17, yeah. 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 So, you know, still, still early. I think, you know, Juliana's, I was very excited to see him brought into January camp, particularly because I think it was just like a month ago that his father was on Twitter saying, you know, all we want is like a phone call or an update telling us where we stand, you know, like that, that he was really him and his son were really just sort of out, you know, kind of uh, really not knowing where they stood in that program. Then let's remember he's dual eligible and uncapped, but also there's this ongoing frustration. So I was very glad to see him brought into, into January, into yeah, January camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the additional factor there is that it's such a position of need for the U S because we've got Pulisic as a winger. And then we've got basically a lot of average, you know, that there's like the, the newly positioned Jordan Morris and Tyler Boyd and Paul Ariola, And it's just, it's a lot of mediocrity that doesn't really push the game forward. And I feel like Ulianez is like a freaking match to, to paper when he comes onto the field. So love him, love him. And we, we just need that kind of player so much. So I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, thrilled if he can find his way into the into the bad gnats this year well Uli, so close you almost had it you almost got your first peep but uh this is going to go to katarina macaria we are now entering our uh our sort of the the climax of this show we are coming into my favorite categories of the year folks uh let's start with one this is hopefully only going to be a category for 2019 the category is most vacant vacancy. Uh, folks, this is the peep that goes to the most. There are many vacancies <laughs> in 2019. We are going to choose which is the most vacant uh, this year. <laughs> so we've got, we have uh, the U20 and technical director slot once held by Tab Ramos. Ramos. 
We also have the under-17 coaching position, which is now vacant once again, uh, once held by Ra- uh, Raphael Wicke. We've got Greg Berhalter's head, which used to have hair, but no longer has as much. Uh, we've got, this one's a little bit mean, but I, but I'm going to do it anyways. We've got the space between Ernie Stewart's ears, where a brain should be. And lastly, we have for for most vacant vacancy, we have the U.S. <laughs> we have the USMNT number nine position, most vacant vacancy. Ty, what's your uh, what's your pick? Once oh again, uh, th- that's going to be Tab Ramos's uh, vacancy, Raphael Wicke's vacancy, Greg Berhalter's hairless head, uh, Ernie Stewart's brainless skull, and the USMNT number nine. Oh man, this really depends. I feel on just an, a better, better clarity around what the fuck is happening at Soccer House because I could I can envision a world in which Ernie Stewart is actually totally on point and is just like bound by all of this red tape and things that he's supposed to do and say that he can't or you know. He, it, it, there could be a universe where he he totally gets it, and so I want to I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But there, there, his position has done virtually nothing to to help the national team except maybe convince Sergio Dest to play for the for the men. I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything any positive impact that this you know newly created position has actually had on the senior men's national team. So that's that's a very Good shout. The Tab Ramos one, I feel like the U.S. fans have gotten used to that no matter what what is going on with the senior Nats, we are always going to put out a good U-20 side under under Tab Ramos. And sometimes, you know, they run into some buzzsaws and they had the group with, it was like uh, Spain, France, and uh, another good team, and they, they got knocked out in the group. And that does happen, and they've had some some you know iffy results or moments, and he has frustrated me. Uh, but I, I would say Tab frustrates me the least of any you know U.S. national team coach that that I've uh, had the pleasure of experiencing their their soccer. And I I trusted him. I believed in his ability to make the players better, not just like during the tournament, but as a mentor, as a friend. Uh, I love having a, a Hispanic voice as like a very prominent figure in U.S. soccer because I think it it sends the signal to the Hispanic community in the states that they're important to U.S. soccer, and it's just it's it's a it's a crushing loss. It's a crushing loss, especially uh, you know at the time there was still Rafael Wiki um, around, but now now we know that that the cupboard is bare. There are no youth national team coaches employed. For on the at least the men's side, right? If not both sides, and Tab Ramos, I think it just epitomizes everything you want as your youth national team coach. He's the he's the Friday Night Lights coach of U.S. soccer, and he's gone. He went to he went to coach at TMU, and it's just it's it's a travesty. The so worst. I, definitely the most the 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 biggest absence for me. The most vacant vacancy. Kwame, any objections to Tab Ramos, to Tarb Rambars being the most vacant vacancy? Well, yes and no. I mean, I agree Tab Ramos was a huge figure and doing so many important things that I don't think 
We have as many good young players coming through the pipeline without him, and I don't think we have Serginio Dest without him. But I think the fact that a U-20 coach was so important highlights just the degree of, uh, <laughs> you know, poor functioning and incompetence at the level of Ernie Stewart. Like, it shouldn't be a big deal that your U-20 coach, after, you know, however many years, goes and works with, like, a professional team. Like, that that should be expected. It shouldn't be, like, this, you know, this seismic shock to the whole system. But because we have no youth national team coaches, right, none on the men's side, I think there may be one remaining on the women's side, like the U-15 or something like that. But, but there might be none on that side either. Uh, it's... It's incredible. I, I don't think that we can. I don't think that we can harp on that enough. How big a deal it is. How much of a mistake is being made right now? Because the you know there's also a bond that we're seeing in that U twenty team that's coming through now. All these guys knowing each other, wanting to play each other, keeping in touch through like social media. And, you know, what's what's happening? You know, how are we going to continue that in this sort of huge country of ours, right, where, you know, other countries um, that might be, you know, sort of closer, you know, smaller in size if they're not as, you know, if, even if they are poorly run, like you might all be from like the same city or kind of the same area. No, like the U.S., you know, we've got two players from Texas and two in California and one from Connecticut. Like they're not going to connect unless we have a really good system and we just don't so i think um uh as much as tab ramos was excellent he had some deficiencies and it's it should be fine that he's moving on and it's really really not fine that he's moving on so uh ernie stewart gets my vote for the vacancy the space between Ernie Stewart's ears uh, is Kwame's vote. I personally, <laughs> just because that one's kind of mean, he has a brain. I'm sure he's a, I'm sure he's a smart dude. I'm, I'm just going to go with the Tab Ramos uh, vacancy for the tiebreaker here. But honestly, any one of these could get it. Um, it's just the fact that there are so many vacancies is the problem uh, overall. Moving on. To the Jurgen Klinsmann, everyone's favorite, Jurgen Klinsmann Jerk of the Year Award. Jurgen Klinsmann Memorial of, Jerk of the Year Award. Ah, uh, pardon me, yeah. pardon me. The Jurgen Klinsmann Memorial Jerk of May the Year Award. May he rest in peace. So this one was, uh, this one was uh, pretty simple as far as the nominees. There's only three, um, once again, welcoming write-ins. But we've got Ernie Stewart uh, for not hiring anyone. We've got... Also, not technically true. He hired like a couple people. But Ernie Stewart, Jerk of the Year, you're nominated. You didn't get your peep in the last category. You might get it this time. We've got Greg Berhalter for everything that he did. Um, but I'm going to highlight the fact that he gave Weston McKenney the captain's armband for the first time in his life versus Mexico. And when we lost, said that Weston McKenney had failed to step up as a leader and captain. Uh, jerk of the Year to you, Berhalter. And then we've got... In a good way, jerk of the year to the USWNT for demolishing Thailand uh, to kick off the world. Uh, this is a this is this is a, a twist this year. You can now get nominated for the Memorial Jurgen Klinsmann Memorial Jerk of the Year Award in a good way 
uh, and the USWNT showed us what that is. Kwame, uh, what's your pick? Ooh, um, I had forgotten about that Greg Berhalter comment regarding uh, Weston. I think that wins it for me. Um, you know, the US, the USWNT versus Thailand, uh, you know, they weren't, yeah, I don't think they were really jerks. Uh, and so I don't think it quite <laughs> qualifies, although I get what you're saying. But uh, yeah, I think, I think Burhalter gets it for me. I think Ernie Stewart being bad at his job doesn't mean that he's a jerk. It just means that he's bad at his job. Greg Berhalter also managed to assault the press for questioning his tactics and approach after the, the utterly embarrassing three, nothing Mexico loss and just made inane comment after inane comment. And it just, it started out so well. You know, it's it's sad. It's truly sad. We were optimistic. You go back to those first couple episodes at three nil against Panama in Arizona back last January camp. You know, Captain Paul Ariola Nips. It's just th- things were things were swimming along perfectly, and then he just couldn't pull it together. He couldn't like the 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 moment that I think epitomizes it for me is that w- when he complained about how hard it was to call a national team camp together it's like you got all these different you got all players in different leagues and they they want different things and they've got all these schedules and injuries it's like that's the job that's the first part of the job like this is not you're not even up to the level where you can be good or bad this is like table stakes for being the national team coaches you have to pay attention to a lot of players and like make them get to one place at one time. Like I, I it was, it just fell off the rails in such an em, uh, embarrassing and colossal way. And I felt, I did not feel like, you know, when Dave Sarakan had bad results, I did not feel like he was a jerk. I feel like Dave Sarakan was a, a little over his head and did, did the best he could with the resources he had available. But I, I, I felt like, Greg Berhalter came into it with this concept that he's, you know, God's gift to U.S. soccer, which is exactly what we thought we weren't getting. You know, we thought we were getting a steward, um, no pun, and we ended up getting getting some like a like a, a dictator. So I'm I'm I've got to give it to to Greggy B. But I'm I'm ready. I'm fully prepared to have my mind changed. And I, you know, I think I I do think he's smart. I do think he has good ideas, and I just think he needs to evolve his conception of what this job is going to be and mean and what he's going to be able to do to change this team. So I just I, – I, I really want it to work out. I'm not uh, I'm not opposed to you as a human being, Greggy B, but you, you, you behaved like a jerk this year. You did. Well, there it is, folks. Greggy B receiving – the Jurgen Klinsmann Memorial Jerk of the Year Award, and it is well-deserved in my opinion. Folks, we've just got a few more of these categories. If, you are, uh, if you're with us, thank you for being with us. You are OG. You waited all year for the next three categories we're about to drop, and you finally made it, family. All right, let's do this thing. Up next, we have Best Crossover Career, also known as the Trippy Red Switch Insides category uh 
nominees for the trippy red switch insides peep uh this year are going to be kate markgraf as broadcaster and general manager of the uswnt we've got hugo perez uh, ex-nat now scouting for the mexican national team switching sides and lastly we have in uh, nominated for Best Crossover Career, Megan Rapino as a soccer player and world leader slash activist. Uh, let's go with... Ty, you go first. Well, okay, I, I do have a write-in. Okay. My write-in is uh, Allie Wagner, unless she's nominated for something else. She is not? Tell me why. Okay, so because she's she is a uh, former player and she crossed over into broadcasting. And she we gave her a lot of credit in the Men's World Cup, which is why I'm not like up in arms about this absence, but she, she was, she was fantastic during the, during the women's world cup and was, was the, in the a pairing with, um, what's his face was John champion, I think. And, and they were, they were so good. And she, she just brought something to the two proceedings that, that was sorely missing. So I I appreciate that she's becoming kind of a fixture of what you know it means to watch U.S. soccer, and you know she had a fine career, but not not like an outstanding career, I would say. So I, I think that's a really successful crossover. Kwame, any objections to Ali Wagner with the trippy red switch insides? <laughs> I'm not going to vote for Ali Wagner, but I do think that that is a very good write-in by Ty. Um, I, you know, I've been watching Ali Wagner do commentary for several years and, uh, I made the realization a little while back that I used to not really like her as an announcer and now I really do. And I think that's 5% that she's gotten better as an announcer as you know, anyone will do if they do a job for a while, hopefully. But I think 95% of it is that I've actually learned more and now I'm able to keep up with her. Because there are things she would say and be like, oh, I don't see that at all. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, right. You're totally right, Allie Wagner. So so she's really, really good. Uh, and I have definitely benefited from being able to watch and listen to her for several years. Um, but I would say that the for me, my vote, for best but also worst crossover is Hugo Perez because I think it is, for me more than anything else, laying bare just how bad the viewpoint and stance and approach of U.S. soccer as a whole is towards the sort of um, the Latin community in the U.S. and in terms of looking at soccer players and seeing them and thinking of them as American soccer players. Um, the fact that a national team player and scout could lose his job in part for speaking Spanish to young players and then be more valued by Mexico than by us, and for that not to cause alarm bells to go off all over Soccer House uh, is just shows just how deep uh, of a hole that we're in. And I think that that coming to light is hopefully part of what's waking up the the soccer fan base, um, who I think, you know, right now it's, you know, however, zero degrees in Chicago. But, I, you know, I think we should be protesting outside of Soccer House, you know, given <laughs> you how first, bad it Bobby. is. 
Uh, I mean, we've got no youth national team coaches. We've got all sorts of dysfunction. Um, and, you know, I think as long as our protests remain on Twitter and they get TV money, I think they're fine. So, um, but anyways, Hugo Perez is my vote. Well, folks, uh, it's come down to me uh, for this one. And I think given that it's the trippy red switching sides, uh, which is initially a diss track uh, for, for, for XXX Tentacion hanging out with Takashi69, uh, I do think that Hugo Perez is the most um, fitting for this award. Although I, I want to just once again shout out Megan Rapino, who deserves all the peeps uh, for switching on a dime to making her platform matter uh, for more than just uh, soccer. You know, there's more, there's more important things in the world, believe it or not. Um, but anyways, Hugo Perez, you're taking it home. You're going home with this, with this peep. Congratulations. See you never. Now, folks, for the penultimate, before we get to the golden peep, I've got one more for you. Um, this is going to be the weirdest truth. Weirdest truth, folks. Weirdest truth. Okay, I've got a few nominees here for weirdest truth. Uh, one, the Burhalter family runs the world. Uh, Jay and Greg Burhalter, uh, CEO and coach at U.S. Soccer. Uh, what the fuck is going on? That's weird. Two, USMNT. I think this is true. I don't know. I'm not totally sure, but you'll get the point. The U.S. MNT, uh, the U.S. Uh, Feder- U.S. Soccer Federation at large has lost more youth coaches then there are youth coaching positions uh, in 2019 because one of them was uh, one of those positions was filled and then went vacant again. Um, So for our next, so that's an odd truth Uh, for our next, we've got uh, this, this is, I Googled this uh, once again. I think this is true. Um, The combined net worth of Tobin Heath, Megan Rapinoe (laughs) and Carly Lloyd Okay, Think, th- th- let those names ring out in your mind. Their combined net worth is equal to Greg Berhalter's. No. At no. $6 million. Yes. Tobin Heath, $1.5 million. Megan Rapino, $3 million. Carly Lloyd, $0.5 million. That, uh, not possible. That's not possible. Yeah, Megan, well, Megan Rapino is worth like bajillions of dollars at this point. Well, really? I don't know. Google that's, I mean, that? that's what Google said. That's what Google said. I don't know. And the final weirdest oh, truth, no. uh, which, which is a, a, the, perhaps we'll find out which is the weirdest of all. But here's another one. Darlington Nagby spent his entire life uh, trying to achieve an ability level that would get him a call up to his chosen national team. And then he spent all of 2019 Turning down those call-ups. Weird truth, folks. Uh, Ty, what's your pick for weirdest truth of 2019? I have to go with the youth coaches. Because it's just like, if I'm in a conversation with somebody who, who isn't familiar with the team, and I kind of explain to them why I'm frustrated with the team, it's just the first thing I'm going to mention. It's, there's no greater bellwether of dysfunction than this. This is like... It's like the most, it's one of the most important functions of the federation, right? To cultivate youth excellence and grow our player base and, you know, play in these tournaments. And it's perplexing. There must be some calculus here, but no one has said anything about it. And it's been a, it's been a literal year that they've haven't had coaches for positions except like 
right before World Cups to just like run a World Cup. So definitely the strangest truth. I've I've never heard of any federation having this problem. Maybe it's more common than I'm thinking, but like I I I can't even nothing comes to mind. So it's just totally bizarre and beyond the pale that this has been the case. Kwame, any objections to the US Federation losing more youth coaches than there are youth coaching positions being the strangest, weirdest truth of the year. Yeah, no objections. You know, I think we've touched on it a few times so far in the show, but it's really, it's really strange and it's really bad and it's really disheartening. Um, you know, I would say that um, the first one that you mentioned, the Burhalters running the show, um, you know, I, I, I have my fingers crossed, but I think the rumors... The rumors are starting to fly that um, Jay Burhalter, who was CFO, not CEO, but thought to be in line for CEO. Uh, recently, there's been noise coming from Carlos Cordero that it probably is not going to be Jay Burhalter for CEO, um, that there's just been kind of too much noise around uh, his failings. So, you know, we'll have to wait and believe it when we see it. But there may be a little less influence than than we feared. Um, and if the proper CEO does come in and start to, you know, uh, shake things up, uh, that'd be great. But, you know, we there's not much room for us to be really confident that they'll get a good CEO, um, you know, so fingers crossed. But, yeah, I would say, that, you know, the, the, the coaches, um, it is a weird – you know, fact. I feel like calculating net worth is a uh, is a tricky thing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Also, that um, if these are net worth numbers, they're probably based on like 2018. Um, and I think there's been a lot more endorsement and business ventures that members of the women's national team have gone into this past year, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, like on my Instagram feed, right. I see like Lindsay Horan doing kind of like paid Instagram posts for posts for BMW, you know, which, uh, which wasn't happening, you know, this time last year. So, uh, I think that is a weird truth, but I think that that will start to, uh, that'll start to even out a little bit more. Um, also as more money comes into the women's game, hopefully, uh, you know, Sam Kerr, uh, you know, who's Australian but playing in the NWSL, she just made a big money move to Chelsea who are paying her 400 k a year now. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see that a little bit more um, and other leagues starting to throw money around. And so I think hopefully the net worth of these women players will start to go up. I mean, Sam Kerr is, you know, arguably one of the, the best player in the world. Um, but as I've said in a previous podcast, I'm going to be, I'm, I am eagerly awaiting the day that Real Madrid decides that they're going to throw around money in the women's game and, you know, splash like 750K or a million to like, you know, steal, uh, you know, steal Katarina Macario away from, uh, you know, the Washington spirit or something like that. So, <laughs> Well, folks, there you have it. Uh, Weirdest truth this year is going to go to the youth coaching vacancies. However, 
that is with the, the, the hope in mind that the truth gets less weird in some other regards. Uh, we've now made it to the, the, the most important Peep Award. It is called the Golden Peep. And it is awarded to the person or persons who most <laughs> represent the WTP lifestyle. Yes. I want you to keep in mind that this is not about best, nor is it about worst. It is about being representative of the We the Peeps ethos. The nominees are Emily Sonnet for, her, for being, as far to my knowledge... The best dancer U.S. soccer has ever seen. <laughs> we have Serginho Dest for choosing the USA, for playing Polisic, for, for, for playing as Polisic in FIFA, and for being a dual national. And then we have uh, this is a this is a combo peep uh, that is that uh, is for people who listened to all of last year's peeps and then emailed us with a secret code. In order to get this nomination, uh, their names are Vince Gonzalez, MJ Lee, and Aaron Teets. Sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, but all three of You're you welcome. have been nominated for the Golden Peep uh, for, for representing We the Peeps um, in, in illustrious fashion. And lastly, we have the U.S. Youth National Team, the under-19s, for when they defeated France and made me cry in front of my girlfriend. Uh, Kwame, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what's your vote? We've got Emily Sonnet, Dest, uh, and then our, our three peeps out there, Vince, MJ, and Aaron as one, and then we have the under-19s. Uh, I think my vote has to go to the U-19s. Uh, I think that that really, that tournament, that team uh, really encapsulated what we're most excited about uh, as U.S. soccer fans that, and that, you know, that very much shapes the direction of the show that we want our team to perform in big tournaments. But we're also very interested in the how these players develop, how they form a team, um, how they, you know, how they fight together. And that U19 team against France, that was, you know, that, that was something really, that was something really beautiful, right? And really you know, really like American and, you know, that team really uh, under Ramos, you know, really pulled from all all over the, the U.S. So that is my vote. I think Emily Sonnet. Uh, I think, Clayton, uh, you would actually, you know, Emily Sonnet, you could probably hang and talk music and dance moves, uh, but I'm not sure... Uh, if that is enough to give her the peep because of, uh, you know, how I probably couldn't keep up. Although I will say, and I don't think I've said this on the air, uh, I actually did bump into Emily Sonnet over the summer after the World Cup. Oh, no. Yeah. So uh, I was visiting uh, some friends in uh, Portland and went up to Tacoma, Washington, to, to see another friend. Um, uh, and... Um, we were at this like brunch place, you know, and you sort of stand in line and I was taking forever to decide what to order as one does, as I do anyways. And someone like to, you know, my left was like, are you, you know, are you ready to order? And I was like, no, no, go ahead. And I sort of like stepped back and uh, she stepped in front of me and I was like, oh crap, it's Emily Sonnet. 
And like two, like, you know, like five feet to her left was Caitlin Ford, who's, you know, one of like the main players for the Australian national team. And they both play for the Portland Thorns, who had a game against the Seattle Reign, who play their games in Tacoma. And they were clearly kind of in like, you know, post-morning meeting, like fuel up for the game kind of mode. So I actually didn't say anything directly to them, although I think I may have whispered kind of loudly to my friend who didn't know who they were um, and uh, sort of let it go. But I feel like, Clayton, if that had been you, you would have been like, what's up? Here's some of my dance moves. And then, you know, the two... Emily Simon would be on the show right now. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) I I apologize. I dropped the ball. I could have made that connection for us and, and didn't, so... Well, it's all good, Kwame. You know, you've, you've come through in, in so many other ways, so I'm going to let this one slide. Uh, Ty, who's your vote for, or which of these will be your vote for Golden Peep? So these are all wonderful nominees. And I, I, I really want to say our peeps because they, I, I can't be more grateful. The, like, the, the thing that keeps us going is that people reach out to us and they say that they appreciated the show and they say how smart Kwame is and they point out like all the mistakes that I made and um, make sure I, I understand how much worse I am than Kwame. And it just like warms my heart. You know, every, every show uh, we, we get a response and it, especially around peeps time, people love the peeps. So I love you peeps and I, I really want to give it to you, but the WTP lifestyle is not about success. That's 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 the reason why I, I can't agree with with Kwame's assessment because the U.S. National, the U twenties were too good. I think they they were they reached too high heights. The WTP lifestyle is about having much better options available, but following your heart and choosing yeah. to spend un, unbelievable amounts of time on a team that is totally mismanaged with a federation that is just getting in its own way all the time to waste potential. So I, I have to give it to Serginio Des because he, he made the decision that we've made to, to be here today on, on a Tuesday, on New Year's Eve, when we could be doing other things with our time. But we're here to talk about this, the, the, the one dumpster fire and the one... Uh, to utterly mistreated elite unit that is the U.S. Women's National Team that that somehow manages to succeed despite a total lack of support. <laughs> so Serginio Dest embodies the WTP lifestyle. I'm so grateful. I don't understand his decision. I, I truly don't. But I admire it. And we we're 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 peas in a pod, me and him. And we we will. I would love to play FIFA with him. I would love to run into him at the brunch spot. I would probably do what Kwame did. But I will say, thank you for your service, Serginio Dest. Thank you for choosing the U.S. Men's National Team. Yep, there you have it, folks. We have a tie. Uh, it's a split decision between Serginio Dest and the U. He's he's both. He's in both. He's in both, yeah. so really we already know. But uh, I'm, I am also. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Ty on this one. Serginio Dest. It, you, this was the greatest moment of the year uh, for. If you're a fan of this men's team, it was the greatest moment of the year in a t- tepid, horrible year. Um, so I think that it, you know it deserves to be acknowledged with a peep. 
And I think the, the, the dual national experience is one that all three of us on this show can, can resonate with to a degree. Um, and so there, there's just something about the desk choice that, that just screams golden peep to me. Um, so that's it folks. Uh, we, we did it. We made it to the end of another episode. Remember, if you want to get nominated uh, for a peep, the current challenge is to, uh, recommend the show to a friend and have that friend email us saying they listened to the show and that you're, and what your name is and nominate you for a peep. If you can get a friend to do that, you will be nominated for a peep award and who knows you might even win it. Sorry to Vince, MJ and Aaron. This wasn't your year, uh, but go ahead and go ahead and enter the challenge again. There's no limit uh, to how many times you can be nominated for a peep. There's no limit uh, so to how many times you can be disappointed year. by this podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I want to just give one quick moment, a brief moment before we, we close out 2019 for good for life and move on to 2020. Are there any moments uh, that occurred this year for either or any of the youth or, or men's or women's teams uh, that that you, you feel like should be mentioned before we leave 2019 that haven't already been mentioned. Uh, Kwame, I'll start with you. You know, I think we've talked about how much that you know U20 game versus France was awesome. Um, the whole Women's World Cup. I think we've probably I think we've probably covered it. All right, Ty. Any on your end? Yeah, I think we have covered it. As for the team, but I, I do want to shout out uh, Kwame. For, for getting getting into the fold this year. And, I mean, I I have enjoyed so much being a listener of this show this year. It's the first time I've really been able to do that. And I really it, it looked forward to and appreciated and was enlightened by the episodes that, that you two did. So I, I really appreciate all the, the effort and energy that, that you both put in. Um, and getting getting Kwame's insights on the on the good Nats, it made my summer that much better. If, in case it couldn't have gotten, you know, any, I, there, I thought there was no way for for winning the World Cup to be better, but having your commentary really did it. All right, well, that's about it, folks. There's a few things I love. Uh, one of them is maps to places that I've never been and don't know anything about. They still look good, and I still feel like I'm exploring those locations. I also quite like uh, off-brand AirPods. Um, there's cheaper ways to have this experience, so I'm really grateful for the off-brand AirPods. And lastly, um, super grateful for uh, you peeps. How can I? How can I? Um, you know, how could I end the year on anything other than you peeps out there listening? You are the shit, and I love you. But I hate to say it, I don't love any of that stuff as much as I have and always will love the Nats. Peace out, people. Goodbye, peeps. Hello, 2020. Goodbye. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. I pulled up the stats. Katarina Macario played in 25 games and scored in 18 of the games. 32 total goals. She failed to score. Like a quarter of the time, she fails to score. (laughs) (laughs) She had, she had, yeah. In four of the games, she had no goals and no assists. <laughs> that oh. is so ridiculous. Get on in here. And one of those games, by the way, was the championship game. Right, right, right. 
in yes. which she's, you know, she's like triple marked and therefore still arguably the reason that her team won. Right. Yeah, and she's also playing in the Pac-12. I mean, you can argue whether the Pac-12 or the ACC is the toughest, but in the Final Four, three out of the four teams were from the Pac-12 and one mm. from the ACC. Um, so the level of competition that she was playing year-round was also really high. The future is bright. Best neck. <laughs>